Father, may your presence just dwell in this place with us today as we get ready to explore your word. May we have ears open to hear, hearts open to receive. May your presence just dwell with us. May we love being in your presence. In your awesome, awesome name, amen. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. Hello, Hillside. Oh, it is good to be with you. My name is Stephen Weissong. We are continuing our series, The Rise of the Name Bearers. This sounds like the next blockbuster summer movie. And uh, together we are exploring Exodus and we are, we're discovering what it means to belong to God and carry his name with us out into the world. And the account of Exodus is epic and full of wonder and real life applications for the people back then and for us today. And the ultimate hope of this exploration is that we would see Jesus, we would see the evidence of Jesus at work in Exodus. So we can also experience the evidence of Jesus at work in our lives, freeing us, guiding us, and forming us to be people who faithfully bear his name. My, uh, my first full-time youth ministry position was in Pensacola, Florida. Oh. <laughs> No, no fans of Pensacola. Okay. Well, that's, my, that's where my first full-time youth ministry position was. One day I was at church and a dad and his son, they approached me and the dad asked if I would be willing to be the head coach of his son's basketball team. And then he would be the assistant coach. And I immediately, didn't need to think about it, I just said, yes, I will do this. Because what I saw, I saw this opportunity to do ministry out in the community. Plus, I grew up playing basketball. So for me, the next big milestone was being a coach. And I was so excited. I went out. I bought a book about coaching. I got an erasable basketball court clipboard. I bought a new pair of basketball coaching shoes. I don't know what that means, but, but in my life, any chance I can do, I can have to justify buying new shoes. I'm all about that. So I did that. I got a shiny whistle, and when I got to the first practice, I, uh, I ran some drills, I drew up some plays, and I tried to build some team chemistry. But the sad truth was our team was not very good. And uh, when the season started, we started 0-3, three straight losses. And they weren't like close losses. We were getting blown out of the gym. And then a miracle happened. We won a game. It was awesome. And then we started to win all of our games. And then we made it into the playoffs. We get into the playoffs and we win our first playoff game. And then we make it to the semifinal game. And I was coaching up a storm. It was. And in the semifinal game, we kept it close the whole time. It was a real battle. And this is where I have to tell you about the point guard of our team. The point guard on our team was a kid named Logan Kilgore. And that name sounds like he would be a big kid, but he was really little. 
And uh, Logan was not having a good night in the semifinal game. He kept making bad passes. He kept make, taking bad shots. And during the fourth quarter, I called a timeout, and we got in the huddle. And in the huddle, Logan started to cry. My coaching book did not prepare me for emotional breakdowns in the team huddle. So I told Logan, I said, dude, you got to sit on the bench. And so he goes and sits on the bench. We get back into the game. I walk over to Logan. His head is down. I said, Logan, are you okay? And he kind of looked up at me. He goes, no, coach. And then he started to weep. And then a brilliant idea struck me. I walked away from Logan, and I thought, this is my chance to give him a shot at redemption for coaching glory. And so I waited for the next dead ball. Dead ball came. I looked down the bench. I pointed. I said, Logan get in there. And the assistant coach stood up with fire in his eyes and he goes, no, <laughs> what are you doing? He's playing horrible. This was in front of all the parents watching. <laughs> but, I, but I thought, this is my moment. This is Logan's moment. So I looked at the coach and said, hey, chill out. And I sent Logan into the game. Logan's play ended up losing us the game. And I announced my retirement from coaching after that season. <laughs> what Logan needed from his coach was a break. He needed rest. He needed some gentle encouragement. He didn't need to be my chance at Hollywood coaching glory. I made the wrong call. Our exploration in Exodus today takes place in Exodus 4, and it's a continuation from the encounter God, from the encounter Moses has with God from a burning bush out in the middle of nowhere with his flock of sheep. Now, remember, Moses grew up a Hebrew in Pharaoh's palace, and the reason he's tending sheep out in the middle of nowhere is because Moses is a fugitive. One day Moses saw an Egyptian harming some Hebrews and Moses struck the Egyptian down and buried him in the sand. The Bible is amazing. This is like, what is happening? So I, I've been thinking Moses is kind of like a vigilante too, right? Egypt is the political power at the time. The Hebrews are the enslaved workforce. And now the Egyptian police want to get rid of Moses. And the Hebrews, they were not impressed by what Moses did. So Moses ran away. Moses took the law into his own hands, and nobody liked that. Talk about some spicy drama. And so when Moses encounters God in the burning bush out in the middle of nowhere, Moses is carrying all of this emotional turmoil and traumatic baggage with him. But God informs Moses that Moses is, in, is part of God's plan to do something good and epic and wonderful. But Moses is convinced that God has made the wrong call. Just listen to Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. Moses answered, what if they won't believe me and will not obey me, but say the Lord did not appear to you? 
I find it so fascinating that Moses is literally experiencing a supernatural phenomenon. A bush is on fire, it isn't burning up, and God is speaking to him. God is literally giving Moses his life mission supernaturally. That's incredible. And instead of throwing a praise party, Moses gets worried about what other people are going to think about him. God, if I go and tell people you sent me, Moses is saying, they're going to reject me. Maybe the biggest thing that prevents us from sharing our experiences with God to other people is we're afraid that they won't believe us. It's the fear of rejection. So often because of our past mistakes, we get tricked into believing that God could never use someone like us. That people will see through us that God made the wrong call. And you know what? God wants people to see through us because when they do, God knows they will find in us, what they'll see through us is God's good and holy love at work in us. And that's what people need the most. But Moses thinks God made the wrong call. Moses tells God, in essence, hey, I'm a nobody. God, you can't use a nobody. In her book, Daring Greatly, author Brene Brown talks about what she calls the scarcity mentality that we each have about ourselves. And she says one of the main thoughts we have about ourselves is the thought, I am never enough. I'm never enough. And this is the inner self-talk many people frame their lives around. In essence, it's, I'm nobody. You know, sin tricks us into thinking we are nobody. But sin doesn't make us nobodies. Sin makes us lost. But in God's eyes, we are somebodies. We are so valuable to God. God goes out searching to help us find him and in the process find ourselves in his love. God calls Moses to be the chosen leader for God's people. And Moses says, I'm nobody. Moses thinks God made the wrong call and see what Moses is doing is Moses sees all of the challenges before him. He's looking ahead and he knows how hard it's going to be. Moses is looking, he sees the wickedness around him and then Moses is looking inward and he sees the wickedness, the weakness in him and he thinks God made the wrong call. He chose the wrong person and we do this too. And this mentality of ours, of thinking that we are never enough, causes us to be inactive in our faith. And before we know it, we become paralyzed by a false sense of self-doubt and a loss of identity. And for some of us, we think it's our past that prevents God from using us. For others of us, we think it's our intelligence or our looks 
or our personality or our social status. For plenty of us, we are bombarded by big breaking news stories and we wonder how our small lives could do anything. And when our primary thought is about how insufficient we are, we are sidelining ourselves from experiencing the sufficient power of God. Because get this, God always makes the right call. He always makes the right call. And when God calls us, he isn't making a mistake. God knows exactly who he is. And because God knows his identity perfectly, God is in the perfect position to tell us who we are. Because God made us. And to God, you are valuable, you are wonderful, useful, and brilliantly made. And so this got me thinking about basketball. Basically, Moses' actions have landed him on the bench. And Moses has had 40 years to sit on the bench. And now God is calling Moses to get back in the game. And to do this, God has to coach Moses up. And what happens next is God gives Moses four messages to inspire Moses to get back in the game. And so here's the first message. The first message is the message of transformation. The message of transformation. Listen to this, Exodus 4, 2 through 4. The Lord asked him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he, Moses, replied. Throw it on the ground, he, the Lord, said. So Moses threw it on the ground, it became a snake, and, rightfully so, he ran from it. The Lord told Moses, stretch out your hand and grab it by the tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand hand. I I love this. God asked Moses, what's in your hand? God is pulling Moses away from obsessing over all of his what-if questions and into what is really in front of him in the present moment. What's in your hand? Moses is holding his shepherd's staff. And I think a lot of us think God has to put something else in our hands if we're going to be used by him. But God uses what's already in our hands. Moses grew up in an Egyptian palace, and holding a scepter in your hand is what made you powerful. That's what Moses thought. And so Moses, he has a lowly shepherd's staff. And so humanly speaking, a king's scepter beats a shepherd's staff. But God is letting Moses know that God is with him. And that's way more powerful than a scepter. With the staff Moses is holding, God will perform wonders. The Red Sea will be parted, a battle will be won, deliverance will happen. It's the staff, not the scepter, that God uses to deliver his people. And to prove his point, God transforms the staff into a snake. And I would do this, Moses did this, you would run away. (laughs) 
And when Moses picks the snake back up, it becomes the shepherd's staff again. It's this wonderful sign of transformation. God is able to take something dangerous like our pasts, and he's able to turn it into something useful. But it's not just about the transformation of the staff into a snake. It's the transformation of Moses and his identity. I mean, think about it. Here Moses is, a shepherd of sheep, and when he leaves this encounter with God, he will become the leader of a nation or a shepherd of people. God always makes the right call. And he uses what's already in our hands, whether that's a tool, a skill, a passion, a device, or your baby's diaper. God uses what's in your hand to make a difference around you. The key for us is to entrust what is in our hands into the hands of God. The second message is the message of testimony. Listen to what happens next. Verse 5. This will take place, he the Lord continued, so that they will believe the Lord, the God of their ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. God reminds Moses who he is and what he's like. The same incredible and unstoppable and compassionate God of Moses' ancestors, the God who is all-powerful, all-loving, and true to his word is here in that moment with him. It's a reminder for Moses to believe in God and take God at his word. The same God who was with Moses' ancestors is still alive and active and present. And he's still alive and active and present with us today. But God isn't finished yet. Uh, You've met Moses for two weeks now. He's stubborn. So God has a third message for him, and this one is pretty cool. The third message is the message of restoration. Listen to what happens. In addition, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. So he put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, his hand was diseased, resembling snow. Put your hand back inside your cloak, he said. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, it had again become like the rest of his skin. If they will not believe you and will not respond to the evidence of the first sign, they may believe the evidence of the second sign. Again, the Bible is so cool. God gives Moses a magic hand. (laughs) It's awesome. This is a sign, it's another miracle of transformation that God can take something that is unhealthy and restore it to something that's good as new. God has a call and a purpose for every single person. God heals us, transforms us, and unleashes us into the world around us to be bright shining lights for his name. And that's one of the reasons that God appears to Moses in the burning bush. The burning bush is God's way of showing Moses what he has planned for him. Moses is the weak bush, but God is the empowering fire. And with God's help, Moses can accomplish anything. But there's a warning in God's fourth 
message. And it's the message of missed opportunities. Listen to what happens. Verse 9. And if they don't believe even these two signs, or listen to what you say, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the ground. The water you take from the Nile will become blood on the ground. The staff turning into the snake, uh, the hand becoming unhealthy and diseased, and now the water turning to blood all have to do with life and death. And they anticipate the struggle for freedom that's about to happen in Egypt. But God gives us his word. And he shows us his miraculous work to give us hope. And with the water turning to blood, God is giving a glimpse of how we can be so caught up in our own stuff. We miss being part of God's family. You see, if we won't receive God's word or miracles, what's left is a missed opportunity. According to God's game plan for human beings, the worst place to be on earth is on the bench watching God's plan unfold instead of participating in God's plan. And here's a Bible fun fact. I love Bible fun facts. Here it is. Exodus 3 and 4 is the longest recorded conversation in the first five books of the Bible. The more you know, okay. And here's the crazy part about this conversation. It's, It's mostly God talking. And after God gives Moses his four messages, listen to how Moses responds. This is Exodus 4.10. But Moses replied to the Lord, please, Lord. I have never been eloquent, either in the past or recently or since you have been speaking to your servant, because my mouth and my tongue are sluggish. I've always heard Moses might have had some kind of speech impediment, and maybe he did. But in his Holy Spirit-inspired message in Acts chapter 7, here's what Stephen says. This is who I'm named after, by the way. A Stephen fun fact. Wow. But here's what Stephen says in Acts 7, 2, 2, 22. Why did I say 2, 2? Oh. So Moses was educated in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and actions. So maybe Moses isn't being totally genuine here in Exodus chapter 4. Maybe Moses has lost his confidence because he's ashamed of his past. Maybe Moses isn't as elegant with his words like he once was. After all, he's been preaching to sheep for 40 years. And God lets Moses know that Moses is actually in good company because God is the one who designed the human mouth. God assures Moses that he will give him the right words and he will teach Moses what to say. And so when God calls us to something, he enables us with what we need to accomplish the work. And we find out too that God designated Aaron, Moses' brother, to be Moses' assistant in the speaking department. And actually Aaron is on his way to meet with Moses right as God and Moses are continuing this conversation. And it's just another example of how God provides And you would think this would be enough 
This is an amazing encounter. But Moses has one last thing to say. Listen to what he says in verse 13. Moses said, please, Lord, send someone else. Anybody been there? Moses has run out of excuses, so he flat out tells God he's not available. And up to this point, God has dealt with all of Moses' excuses. But when Moses tells God he's not available, Exodus 4.14 says, The Lord's anger burned against Moses. God was okay with Moses' questions, unbelief, and doubt. Those things didn't make God angry. What made God angry was when Moses said he wasn't available. When Moses said he would rather sit on the bench than get back in the game. The problem for so many of us isn't our ability or lack of ability, it's our availability. We're too busy, we're too distracted, we're too ashamed, so we make ourselves unavailable to God. God, send someone else. But here it is. The thing God wants you to do, God needs to send you. And we should make ourselves available to God. And here's why. Because God created us. And because God redeems us. And so when God calls our name, and he does, we make ourselves available. And so here's the big question. Are you available to God for whatever call, whatever plan, whatever purpose he has for you in this moment of your life. Are you available? Are you making yourself available? Listen to Exodus 4.18. Then Moses went. Finally, Moses gets it. God gave Moses a life mission to go where God sends him, to speak what God commands him, and to not be afraid of people because God will be with him. And here's the big thing I learned from Exodus 4 this week. It's that before Moses could deliver others, God had to deliver Moses. My other thought was, Moses has a really long conversation with a bush. Isn't that wild? And I thought sometimes when we communicate with God, we might look strange to the world. And what I needed to know is that I am a weak little bush and God is the empowering fire over me, sustaining me and with me. And so instead of a scarcity mentality, God empowers us with a sufficiency mindset. God's power is more than enough to work through our regrets, our pitfalls, our mistakes, and our weaknesses. All we have to do is trust God because God always makes the right call. And he has chosen you to be part of his big and mighty work to bring more of his goodness into the world. And it all starts in our hearts. So if you believe God has called you, he will equip and enable you. 
If you obey God in faith, his presence will protect you. If you faithfully share his word with others, he will accomplish his purpose no matter how people respond. God is with us. And so maybe you're feeling sidelined or benched by life. God is calling you to get back in the game and bear his name. When I was a senior in high school, I felt like a nobody. My family, we had moved from one state to another state, and this got me to feel very depressed in my life. And I felt unseen, I didn't feel loved, and I felt all alone. Well, during my senior year of high school, my dad, he was invited to be a speaker at a missionary school in Kenya, Africa. And uh, miraculously, I got to go. And so I go to Kenya, Africa with my dad. And uh, the best part of the trip, it was pretty cool to be at the missionary school, don't get me wrong. But the best part of the trip was when we got to go on safari at the end of our time in Africa. I love animals. And so one day we were out on safari and we stopped for lunch by the Mara River. And uh, my dad and I, we decided we wanted a moment for ourselves. And so I, I walked out into the savannah. And I just remember, I looked out and it just stretched for miles and miles and miles. I couldn't see the end of it. I just saw the horizon. It was awesome. The savannah was so cool. And then I looked up. The sky was blue and so vast. And in that moment in Africa, I felt so small. I'm six feet four inches. It takes a lot for me to feel small. But in that moment of smallness, as I'm dealing with all of my own stuff, feeling like a nobody, feeling alone, feeling unseen, in this moment of smallness, I felt like God spoke into my life. And what I felt like God say to me was, Stephen, you might feel small, but I see you. I see you and I love you. And that was the moment in my life where God became real to me. God used that place to deliver me and transform my life. And I'm standing in front of you because God took me to that place. And in that place, I experienced him. And in that place, I felt like God started to give me my life mission. I want to communicate God's love to everyone because God communicated his love to me. Now, there's still a lot of work that God has to do in my life. But I go back to that place to always remind myself of who God is and who God says I am. And so when God wants us to experience a change of perspective, he often gives us a change of scenery. And in the areas of life where we might feel like we are not enough, God says over us that he is more than enough. We might think that we are the great I am nots, but we believe in a God who calls himself the great I am. We might think we are nobodies, but in Christ we believe we are God's kids, and God calls us somebodies in his kingdom. God is with you, God is for you, and God always makes the right call. And he's calling you to believe he is enough, that he has a significant purpose for your life. And by putting your faith in him, God gives you the confidence to be the magnificent person he created you to be. Let's pray.
God, there's probably a lot of us in this room that we look at the things happening in our world, the big breaking news stories, and it looks challenging, and we look around the world, and we see all of this wickedness, and we look in our own lives, and we see weakness, and yet, God, you are placing a call on every single one of us to get in the game for your goodness, for your glory, and to show your love. God, where we think we don't measure up, where we think we aren't enough, you are more than enough. You with us, guiding us, calling us, preparing us is more than enough to get us to go where you are calling us to go. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you that you meet us in our smallness. Thank you that you empower us with your Holy Spirit and your presence. Thank you that Jesus came and walked with us, showing us how to walk with you as well. God, as we go into our week, may we commit the areas of our lives that we have this label over, I am never enough. May we commit those areas to you, knowing that you work through our not enoughs because you are enough. God, thank you for who you are, your love, your mercy, your grace, the calling and purpose you've put on all of our lives. May we get in the game and make a change in this world for you. In your awesome, awesome name, amen.